Well, could you please turn with me to Psalm 98 in your Bible? Psalm 98. And just before I read it, can I say what a joy it is to be with you? Enormous pleasure uh, when we were last visiting here in Dubai, uh, we were at Redeemer Church where it was announced that this congregation would be planted and here you are with the numbers that are before me which are just so um, exciting and amazing and lifts my heart and the heart of my wife Jeanette to be with you uh, and to see people from so many walks of life and nationalities and the accents that we're hearing it really is a foreshadow of the heavenly reality and we are so grateful to be with you well Let's read Psalm 98. I will read it. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. A Psalm. O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with the trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your voice in Scripture. We thank you for enabling us to hear it this afternoon at this gathering. And we pray that in your mercy you might so speak to our hearts so that our lives will be transformed. Please help me to preach a better sermon than I have prepared. And please help us all to look to Jesus. And we pray this all for his sake. Amen. Well, it's almost impossible to stop Christians from singing, isn't it? Already, I think I've counted five songs that we've sung this afternoon. It's just a normal thing that Christians do because singing is a vehicle of joy. And as such, singing is one of those unique features of Christian gatherings. For Christians have plenty to rejoice about. But it's not just singing per se, is it, which is unique, but what they sing about. I mean, after all, sporting crowds sing joyfully in stadiums. 
unless you support a team like Manchester United or something like that, as I understand. No, no, I'm kidding. Uh, every football team has its fans singing their songs, don't they? And party crowds sing joyfully in pubs or in hotels. But what is it that Christians or God's people are to sing joyfully about? Well, if you look at the text again, Psalm 98 verse 1, O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvellous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Now please note here that the psalmist invites God's people to sing not just any song, but a new song. A new song. Now what is a new song? What makes something a new song? Is it the ancient equivalent of Christian hip-hop or something? Like, What is a new song? Well, I'm not going to do all the work. I'm going to get you to do some work now. I hope you don't mind. I'm used to speaking to university students. And if you don't mind, I'll, I'll just do the same kind of thing with you as I do with them. And I'm going to ask you the question and get you to talk to one another for a moment. I hope that's it. Can I do that at Covenant Hope? Or will lightning strike me from the pastor? I don't know. what. Okay. All right. So can I ask you to ask that question of one another? What makes a new song a new song? Now, hint. The answer's in the Bible, right? So if you look at Psalm 98 and verses 1, 2, and here's another hint. You might want to look at Psalm 96 and verse 1, which is the two Psalms before. Can you look at it? Can you talk with one another? Discuss. Here's a moment to say hello to the person next to you if you haven't yet met them as well. Is that all right? Please go for it just for a minute or so and then we'll come back together. Okay, I might uh, gather you back. 
I love the sound of people talking about the Bible. I think every Bible teacher does. It's like muttering under your breath kind of thing, which is not a Harry Potter spell, but you know, it's actually you talking about the scriptures, which is wonderful. Which incidentally, you know, the word meditate in Psalm 1, it says meditate on the word of God. The meditate is actually that of you know, um, speaking, uh, muttering uh, the word of God. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Anyhow, uh, love your thoughts. What did you come up with? Anybody willing to share? What makes a new song a new song in the context of those verses? Anybody come up with any thoughts? <laughs> it feels like school. It's like, oh, no, but that's okay. We're amongst friends. Let's, let's share. Anybody willing to share? New content. Yeah, what kind of content? Salvation content. Yeah. Did anybody else feel that he's on? Is he on the right track? Anybody think he's on the right track? Yeah, yeah. Thelma thinks, yeah, yeah, a few people. There you go. You're safe, Matt. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, it is that, isn't it? It, it seems to be that in, in Psalm 96, oh, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Likewise, in Psalm 98, oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he's done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Salvation seems to be the content of this new song. You see, the phrase new song doesn't mean it's just new. That is, it's a new... Uh, by the way, you know, that, that song we just sang, I'm so used to a different tune. You know, oh, for a thousand, that was a new tune, right? To oh, for a thousand times, to me at least, and not to you. But, so it's not new in that sense, but it's new in content. In fact, to get even more technical, it's actually probably... Another revelation, uh, uh, more revelation about what this salvation looks like is what's on view. Uh, if I may, what I'll show it to you from other parts of the Bible. So there are five other references in the Old Testament. There are two other references in the New Testament when it comes to the phrase new song. Uh, the other two are in the book of Revelation. So this is easier to find. If you have your Bibles... Uh, if you don't listen carefully, but if you have your Bibles, if you go to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, in chapter 5, Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9, Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9, we read these words. And they, this is referring to the four living creatures and the 24 elders, who in my view are probably angelic beings of some kind, but that aside, have a look at verse 9. And they sang... A new song. Do you see that phrase? A new song. And what does that new song consist of? Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. See, what's on view there? It's the salvation of God's people. How? They're ransomed through the blood of the Lamb. You see, salvation's on view. Likewise, in Revelation 14, so turn to the right, turn to the right, chapter 14, Revelation 14 and verse 3. Revelation 14 and verse 3. <clears throat> Read there, and they, again, it's talking about this time, I think it's the 144,000, right? Which is the symbolic number of the saved people of God. The 144,000. So it's not a literal 144,000. 
uh, on this score. I want to say the Jehovah's Witnesses are not right, who say that it's a literal number in heaven. This is a totality, a symbolic number of all the redeemed people of God. They sing, verse 3, what is it? They were singing a new song. Before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. See, the redemption is on view when it comes to the new song. But only they can sing this song. Now, isn't that interesting? If that's referring to the 144,000, that is, the redeemed people of God can only sing that song Although the four living creatures and the 24 elders could sing a new song in chapter 5, they can't sing this particular new song here in chapter 14. Why is that? Could it be that there's a real sense in which only the redeemed people of God can sing of their own redemption, their own salvation in an experiential way that the rest of creation can't? Because Jesus died for humanity. He didn't die for the angels. He died for humanity. See, it makes sense for God's people especially to sing of their own salvation. Lots of sense, doesn't it? We can't help but burst forth in praise to our God and to one another for what he has done to save us. For what he reveals of his character in saving us. Come back to verse 2 of Psalm 98. Verse 2 of Psalm 98. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. That is to say, when Israel sang of God's salvation, they couldn't help but sing of God's righteousness. His right actions as creator and judge. They couldn't help but sing of his faithfulness, his undying commitment to his promises. They couldn't help but sing of his steadfast love, his tender-hearted Love. In other words, they couldn't help but sing of God's character that is displayed in full view when he saves his people. And when Israel reflected on what God had done, they couldn't help but reflect on the godness of his character. And it took their breath away in song. In song. And throughout their sordid history, here's a second question for you. I hope you're coping. Right? Can you try and remind each other, when did the people of Israel sing in the Old Testament? You want to have a go? If you don't know, you don't know. That's okay. Just say, I don't know. And then just ask the person next to you. Right? <laughs> but if you do know, have a go at guessing. When in the history of Israel did they sing? Have a chat with each other.
Okay. You got any thoughts? Can I just ask this group of people over here? Can you think of one? Yeah. Exodus 15. And what's the story in Exodus 15, roughly? Yeah, when they crossed the Red Sea. That's right. And what's happening there? They're being saved from the Egyptians, aren't they? They're, I don't know whether they have this song, but we have this song in Australia with youth groups. You know, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, ooh, baby, let my people go. Do you know that song? <laughs> that's the song. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit like that, Imna, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, so a- any other songs you can think of? Exodus 15, any other songs in the history of Israel? Yeah, the song that's sung in the Psalms. Yeah, yeah. And, and when you look at those songs in the Psalms, often it's got to do with some kind of victory or salvation. Yeah. Any other one? One more? Anybody? Yes. Yeah, when David brought the ark. Yeah, that's right in. Not only was he singing, but he was dancing. And he was almost half naked, wasn't he? I mean, woo, that's the king of David. All right, the king of Israel. So they're singing and they're dancing. Why is that happening there? Because of the victory of seeing the ark come back to Jerusalem. There's victory, isn't there? Because they had just, well, they'd lost the ark for a while. There, there was salvation in that sense. You see, on each occasion, the singing involves salvation of some kind. We mentioned Exodus 15. Also, they sang after their 40 years in the wilderness in Deuteronomy 32. Deborah and Barak sang after Israel defeated the Canaanites in Judges chapter 5. And King David not only sang with the ark, but he also sang after he was delivered from the hands of all his enemies in 2 Samuel 22. You see, on each occasion, singing has to do with salvation, victory of some kind. But can you remember a time when Israel couldn't sing? It's actually in Psalm 137. So just, just go there for a moment. Sorry, a bit of Bible flipping, but I hope, you, I hope you're seeing this major theme come through. Psalm 137. Because your covenant hope, I know you can deal with this. You're great Bible teaching here. Psalm 137 verse 1. Psalm 137 verse 1. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres. That's an instrument, right? We hung up our lyres for there our captors required us songs and our tormentors mirth saying, Sing us one of those songs of Zion. Verse 4, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. You see, they're saying there they can't sing. Let the tongue of my mouth be stuck to the roof so that I can't sing. I'll hang up my instruments. I'll put my bass guitar up there and my kahun up on the tree and I'm just not going to have any instruments. I'm, I'm not going to sing. Why? Because there they were in exile. There they were defeated. They weren't saved. They were defeated by their enemies. Singing is a vehicle of joy for the rescued. For the redeemed and by the rivers of Babylon, they couldn't sing. 
Which is why it's so ironic that a band named Bernie M put Psalm 137 to song. <laughs> it's actually meant not to be a song. You know, the, the, the whole point is that you don't sing it. But Israel did have cause to sing of their salvation, nevertheless, over and over again. For God's steadfast love stuck by them, didn't it? Even though Israel constantly failed and failed and failed, God rescued them over and over and over again. And in all those occasions that we just mentioned before, it meant that they could sing because of God's righteousness, because of God's faithfulness, because of God's steadfast love to his people. And if Israel could sing God's love for them, how much more, how much more can we sing today of God's love for us in Jesus? How much more? I mean, just reflect for a moment on God's mercies towards us, his righteousness towards us, his faithfulness towards us, his tender-hearted love towards us in Jesus. We who were sinners, we who suppress the knowledge of God, while we are the ones that God declared to have met his standards, declared right with him only through the blood of Jesus. Where all the anger of God that should have been poured out on you and me was turned aside from us unto Jesus. When Jesus took the penalty for us, died in our place, arose that we might have life with him. And not only that, he's secured our future, given us a genuine hope, not a wishful thinking hope, but a hope that sticks so that we need not fear his wrath anymore. And even when we were his enemies, he reconciled us, united us to his own perfect, precious son. And he poured out his spirit into our hearts so that we can roll that word around in our mouths, Abba, Father, like no other person of any other religion can do. And so when we go through those times when we're overwhelmed and just cannot find the words to express our grieving hearts, His Spirit can take our mangled words and articulate them back to the Father. For those of us who have studied the book of Romans, I hope you see that what I just did was walk us through chapters 1 to 8. Where we hear the great truths, the, the steadfast love of God to us in Christ Jesus. His righteousness. His mercy. His faithfulness. As our family walked through the valley of the shadow of death with the death of my first wife, these truths have become richer and richer. And the righteousness of God 
the faithfulness of God, the tender-hearted love of God has just got bigger and bigger. And I pray that that will be the case for you. Because it ought to take our breath away. It ought to intellectually and emotionally stagger us. And it ought to make us sing. Sing as a vehicle of joy and gratitude as God's gathered children. Because it's just so right and appropriate for God's people to sing of our salvation because we are his saved people. And that's what makes corporate singing so unique when we sing together. And yet here's the twist in Psalm 98. Come back to Psalm 98 and verse 4. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre and with the lyre and the sound of melody, with the trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Did you note there in verse 4, who is invited to sing? He said in verse 4, make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth. So it's not just the people of Israel, God's people who are invited to sing. Now, all the earth are invited to sing the song that the people of Israel, the saved people of Israel can sing because they've experienced salvation. But if only the people have experienced salvation can sing that song in a way that is truly appropriate, then inviting the whole earth to sing that means that what we are talking about here is evangelism, isn't it? I mean, just ponder it. All the peoples of the earth refer to the people who are, why, not just Israel, but Egypt and Assyria and Babylon are to sing praises regarding God when at that time they weren't worshipping God. But inviting them to sing, they're saying, come and sing this song by being a saved people with us. And likewise, this side of Jesus, I take it that the atheists, the materialists, the Muslims, the Hindus, the Buddhists, well, we're calling upon them to join in our singing too, aren't we? And they are to do so exuberantly with instruments. The neighbours of Israel were to use the lyre, which is a type of harp and trumpets and horns for these occasions. These are significant instruments that accompany the significance of the singing of the people from all the earth. But it's not just the people of the earth who are to sing. Look at verse 7. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. The world and those who dwell in it, let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. It's as if the creation is to provide some kind of musical rhythm that spectacularly accompanies the articulate songs of the people of all the earth. The seas are to roar. Have you heard the seas roar? Yeah. And it's not just the seas, but everything in it. The whales 
are to roar. And it's not just the whales, it's everything in the whales are to roar. The krill inside the whales are to roar. Everything in the ocean, the fish in the whales, together with the seaweed and the algae and the sharks and the jellyfish and, and the rivers are to lead the applause and the hills are to become a mighty choir of joyful praise to God. There isn't to be one quiet corner, not one unmoved creature, not one silent mouth. Everything and everyone is to sing together in praise to God. And not only is the seemingly unique singing of God's people to be shared by all the earth and all who live in it. But what they are to sing about is God's steadfast love to Israel. But here's the final twist in Psalm 98. Look at verse 8. Again, let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy. Before the Lord. Why? For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Do you see why creation is to sing so exuberantly? It's not only to express their joy in God's steadfast love to his people but also to express their joy in God's righteous judgment. Did you see that? Make sure you look at it closely. Like, I hope I'm not making this up. Can you see it in the Bible? Right. Make sure you listen to the Bible. Right. Make sure you're looking there. Can you see it there for yourself? Please nod if you can see it. Yeah, I want to just make sure you can see it in the Bible, right? And it's not because some fancy guy with this incredibly polished Australian accent is saying anything with any rhetoric and rhythm and style and polish. It's in the Bible. They are singing about the judgment of God. All creation will joyfully sing because God will judge rightly. And the psalm stops there. No explanation. No apology. Just a full stop. Right there. I wonder how much God's coming judgment makes you feel like singing. Can you think of many songs that are about the judgment of God? Can you think of any songs about the judgment of God? Oh, we sing about salvation. And the psalmist is here saying, let's sing about God's judgment. I wonder how much we rejoice, let alone sing of God's judgment to come. How can we rejoice? Well, I wonder whether our brothers and sisters who have lost family and friends in North Korea who are still being persecuted for their faith might be willing to sing such a song. Do you know there are concentration camps, many, in North Korea? I know that we're all well aware of the persecution of Christians in the Middle East and North Africa. But do you know that North Korea still heads up the list of the most dangerous place for Christians to live in? 
It's small wonder that when we meet the martyrs in the book of Revelation in chapter 6, they are crying out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? How long? For God to not judge the world would show that he didn't care. To see injustice and not be moved into action is to express a cold indifference rather than love. It is because God does love that he will judge. It is because God cares that he will right the wrongs. And that's why I think it was in your article, wasn't it? The righteous... Sorry, the wicked will be judged and sentenced to endless conscious punishment and the righteous to endless joy. And Christ's judgment will fix forever the final state of men and women in heaven or hell on principles of righteousness. It's very biblical, isn't it? Because only God is knowledgeable and wise enough to get judgment right. Only God, it's not the government, they're not going to get it right. The United Nations, they're not going to get it right. No government, no police force, no army is ever going to get it perfectly right. But God will. Only God is powerful enough to enforce it, unlike the United Nations. Only God can judge with absolute equity, Unlike the corruption that passes for judgment in our world. And God has shown his righteous judgments already, hasn't he? In the Old Testament, he showed it in the flood, uh, in the exodus, in the exile, in handing people over to their sinful desires. And supremely in the coming of Jesus when he took upon himself his father's righteous wrath for you and me. And because of this, we know more about the judge. Because God the Father has entrusted all judgment to God the Son who has risen from the dead. Jesus knows human life from the inside. Jesus knows what it was like to suffer injustice. And yet Jesus knows what it's like to respond with steadfast love even to those who crucified him. When he's hanging on the cross. Remember what Jesus cried out in prayer? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And forgive them. Forgive them for they know not what they do. Murderers were nailing the nails into his hands and his feet. And as they are murdering him, he's crying out for their forgiveness. Here is the one who will judge the world. He knows how not to abuse his power. And he will judge rightly. So isn't it a marvelous thing to know that judgment is in the hands of our risen Lord Jesus Just as an aside, 
you either know the answer or you don't. So I'm asking the question for those of you who don't know to guess. Okay? The word hallelujah means praise the Lord. How many times do you think the word hallelujah occurs in the New Testament? Okay. If you know, don't call out the answer. If you don't know, please guess. Can anybody guess? Just call out a number at this point in time. You're just calling out a number. It doesn't matter. You don't have to talk to each other. Anybody? Just shout out a number. How many times the word hallelujah occurs in the New Testament? Anybody? Ten. Thank you. Any raises on ten? Twenty-five. Any other raises on twenty-five? Sounds like an auction, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know how many times it is in the New Testament? Four times. Only four times. And guess what? They're all in the one chapter of the New Testament. Anybody want to guess where it is? In Revelation, that's right. In Revelation chapter 19. Now, why am I heading there? Because three out of the four times, the word hallelujah has got to do with God's judgment. Judgment. Praise the Lord because he will judge the world. Three out of four times in the New Testament. Only four times. How many times have we sing hallelujah in one song? Yeah. I bet you it's more than four times if the word hallelujah occurs. right? More than the New Testament we sing in one song. Now please don't get me wrong. Don't take away all your songs with hallelujah in it. I think it's great to sing hallelujah. But it's quite biblical to sing hallelujah about the judgment of God. Because of who God is in the person of Jesus. Our dear brothers and sisters who are saved, please know that this is our song. Right? But it may be that you're here and you are not a Christian or you're wanting to find out more about Christianity. Firstly, praise the Lord that you are here. But please know who we are talking about. Our Lord Jesus, who made the first move to save you from this judgment. That's why we sing a new song. It's about salvation. He longs for you to be saved. And all you need to do is trust him alone. His death, his resurrection, to save you from this judgment. He longs for you to be saved. And we want you to find out about him more and talk to anybody you've seen up front. But if you don't trust him, this is what we deserve. Rightly. And you know he's not going to abuse his power to do so. For he loves us in righteousness and faithfulness and steadfast love. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, brothers and sisters. For he has done marvelous things. Will you pray with me? Our Father and our God, we thank you and praise you.
for the new song of salvation that we can sing in many ways of what you have done supremely in sending your Son, our Lord Jesus, to die the death that we deserve and rise that we might have life. And we pray, Father, that many more can join us as his saved people to sing such songs. As we go to the world, to the city of Dubai, longing for others to be able to sing our song as they put their trust in Jesus. And we pray, Father, that we will keep singing and keep singing of what you've done for us. And indeed, even rightly rejoice at your judgment to come. And Father, we pray all of this for Jesus' most precious sake. Amen.